Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we are here almost at the end of The Bad Batch. We are covering episodes 12, 13, and 14, and these were some excellent episodes, guys. So good. I feel like the season of The Bad Batch, the back half of it is just so dramatic and super well done. And I'm just really excited to talk about it because I think that these three episodes have a thematic link, but also are just, I don't know, the back half is so good of this season. It's so good. And um, if you've been following along with our Bad Batch coverage, you know that we did receive screeners for pretty much this whole season back in, I don't don't know when, January, end of January, February? Girl, no, 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 no. December, December. literally December. (laughs) I like can't keep track. But the first, when they sent the screeners initially, they sent episodes one through 14 and said they're going to expire in three days. And Charlotte and I were like, oh my God, (laughs) (laughs) freaking out. And so we were able to watch all of them at that time. And all of them except for the finale. Yeah, it needs to be said. We still have not seen the finale. We have not seen the finale. And uh, anyway, but back in December, we watched all 14 in kind of a fever dream, to be quite honest. It was like a beautiful Bad Batch fever dream. But as we've been recording uh, the Bad Batch in these chunks, these batches more or less throughout the season, we've of course been revisiting them each time. And I got to say, re-watching these episodes in preparation for this recording, it was like watching them for the first time again. I remember like the highlights of each of these episodes, but there was so much nuance and detail that I think I just hadn't realized. I hadn't like allowed myself to really soak in because we were watching pretty much the whole season in such a condensed time that it was. And of course, we hadn't had, you know, no one else had been watching. So there was no like public, like the general reaction and what people were talking about, the things that people were latching on to, other fans speculation and stuff like that. None of that was a part of the first time we watched these episodes. So I don't know, I'm kind of rambling here. But all that to say is, Rewatching this set of three episodes again was like watching it for the first time. And I was like kind of bowled over again with how beautiful and poignant and just good this the whole back half of the Bad Batch has been this season. And these three episodes, we're like, we're really building up to a big finale, I think. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the ball is rolling and I, I'm kind of stressed about where we're going to end this season. But these three episodes were really emotional for me and I, I really loved them and I'm excited to talk about them. Yeah, I think there's something just to kind of cap off of what you were talking about. There's something about binging a series, whether it's Star Wars, whether it's not Star Wars. And then also going back and looking at, so binging a series in a short amount of time and then going back and looking at, for all intents and purposes in this discussion, only three episodes and really zeroing in on those, you get the advantage of really noticing key details, looking back on the entire experience and remembering what stuck out to us when we when we uh, binged it for the first time and now we get to really like dive deeper into it, which is a real joy and something that we don't get to do when we we record the episode while it's airing and it's like we've only watched it once or twice or something like that. Like this time we've lived with these episodes for a while. So I do feel like there's something about, I don't know, I even like binging the Clone Wars or Rebels or something like that. And then just only focusing on and on a couple of episodes. It's just really nice. Anyway, all that to be said, all that said, we are covering episode 12, The Outpost, episode 13, Pabu, and episode 14, Tipping Point. And yes, I'm very excited for the finale and I'm excited to talk about this. So let's dive right in. Caitlin, what did what was your favorite episode from all of these? Oh, I don't even know if I can pick a favorite. It's definitely between, honestly, The Outpost and Pabu. I love Pabu so much as an episode. I think <laughs> I think the standout is going to be The Outpost for yeah. everyone watching for obvious reasons. It is an incredible episode. There's something about the 
One thing I want to talk about actually is the order of these episodes of the outpost, Pabu, and then Tipping Point. Um, you were talking up before we started recording about how Tipping Point kind of feels like the penultimate episode in a lot of ways, and, and it is technically before we get into the finale, but how it feels like Tipping Point will really be almost part of a three-episode arc of the finale. And I kind of saw, I can see a version of the season where it would go Pabu Outpost Tipping Point finale. Uh, kind of building this arc with Crosshair. But I kind of love like how intense the outpost was. It Pabu kind of gives you this like real moment to like breathe and relax, honestly, because the outpost was so stressful. And the beginning of Pabu, like the first half of it before we get to the flood and everything was just so beautiful and idyllic and I found myself getting really emotional about the Bad Batch there and just kind of relaxing and untensing, unclenching (laughs) and just kind of having a shot at this kind of beautiful, peaceful life on this island with all these other people who Um, who are refugees who have come to try and make a better life in the galaxy. And I don't know, I thought it was just, I was kind of struck with how beautiful it was and how much I want that for the Bad Batch to have this life where they are just, I don't know, at peace, you know, peace and purpose. And it felt like they were kind of able to find that on Pabu a little bit. I think the, the design of that planet is absolutely beautiful and yeah i i honestly can't pick between the outpost and pabu i know i'm kind of rambling here about pabu but the outpost was just man that was just an incredible incredible episode i don't really even have words for it i agree i think you like pabu a little bit more than i do i think what you're reacting to is actually also what the characters are doing too which i think is interesting in that we you're able to breathe a little bit on in that episode of Pabu, but then also there's this lingering memory that like maybe you shouldn't be breathing because there are people who are after this group and it's just, it feels really idyllic, but like maybe it's not fully. I think the tsunami that we saw there is symbolizing that a little bit about how, yeah, you can relax, but like there's always going to be something out there. No, no symbolism there. Just <laughs> relaxation. You would put that in the no notes symbolism. about Pabu, about how it's almost like you're, I don't want to say tricked into kind of the idealism of a place like that, but kind There's of like. There's something about it that feels slightly eerie to me. I don't know I don't, why. See, I don't, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying with that because I feel like that. I, it's, it's not like superstition wise. I just think that story wise, I it's don't. It's not where they're meant to be. Yeah. It just doesn't feel like. I think it feels comfortable for the characters, but it doesn't feel comfortable for me. I just feel like there's way more that has to be told and it's not going to be on this planet as much as I like it. I don't know. I felt totally comfortable. There. <laughs> I was I was on vacation. I was eating the space sushi with Rucker. I was watching the sunset. I was like, yes, beautiful. Sign me up. When do I vacation here? Who needs Batu? I just need to go to Papu. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I think it was really beautifully designed and animated and things like that. Of course, I'm I'm so with you, but I'm also just looking towards the future. And then, of course, like we get to tipping point, and there's a lot going on in this episode. But that's really setting up the finale, I think. Yeah. So, so, so was the outpost your favorite or tipping? Yeah, point? yeah. I think the outpost sticks out to me as the strongest episode of the entire season. I think it is really. There's a lot that goes into this episode, I feel like. There's a lot of symbolism that happens. There's a lot of realizations that happen. There's a lot of story that is told. I just feel like the music is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's really firing on all cylinders. And I know that so much went into creating that episode that I would bet that a lot of the people behind the story of it are really into it. It's written by Jennifer Corbett, who's the showrunner too. So it feels like there's a lot in this episode that we were leading to. It's a big moment for Crosshair. And it just reminds me that Crosshair's story, I think we've seen so little of Crosshair. And again, this is something that we got when we were binging it. It was like, oh, I miss Crosshair. But there was these extremely strong episodes that centered all around him Mm -hmm. that were cropping up every three or four episodes that I really 
saw when you when you look at it all in a line, you realize that we're checking in with Crosshair like every three or four episodes. And I appreciated that. But this one was the strongest one of the Crosshair check-ins. And it feels like the catalyst for how we're going to think about Crosshair in the future. Yeah, so good. Yeah, I think that especially when we're looking at this uh, season at kind of that bird's eye level, like what are the big themes that are pulling through? And I think that, you know, this set sense of belonging is something that is the, you know, one of the main themes for the entire series as a whole. We've talked about this so much, <laughs> a broken record on it, but it really feels like that's been a huge thing that they've really been pushing in this episode or in this season, I should say. And the fact that it's kind of going between the Bad Batch, who we saw them talk a lot about what they're going to be doing in the galaxy at the beginning of the season. We see Echo make a huge choice for his path, but to also have these big check-in moments with Crosshair too about what he is or isn't doing or the choices that he's making and how we've seen him, you know, if we watch these, all of his episodes together, it really does feel like we can kind of see um, that breakdown to the point that he gets at the end of the outpost of, you know, making that choice. And I guess that redemption as it were, I got to say, you know, the outpost will be airing on the same time as episode two of the Mandalorian. And of course this, this recording, this Sky Talkers episode will come out after both of those. But we were lucky enough to see the second episode of The Mandalorian um, at the premiere, I guess like a month ago now by the time you're listening to this. <laughs> kind of funny. <laughs> but I, I, I'm already thinking about, I'm like, okay, I would recommend, you know, to watch The Bad Batch first and then The Mandalorian, like before you go online. I think that The Outpost is... It's cinema. I think it's some of the best that, like you were saying, it's probably the best episode of the whole season and one of the best episodes of animation I think that we've seen. And episode two of The Mandalorian is really good, but there's something about the outpost that feels because I think it benefits the fact that we're like towards the end of the season and we've kind of been waiting for this character moment, hoping for this character moment, I think, with Crosshair to finally get it. I'm kind of like, I would watch The Bad Batch first <laughs> when I wake up that Wednesday morning. <laughs> I kind of agree with you. I think it's hard to say that because I actually think The Mandalorian episode two of season three is amazing and mm -hmm. it was I'm very excited to talk about it. We haven't recorded our episode on it yet. Well, I guess we and could say what it's about because this will be... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think there's both... Both of them are leading to a sense of redemption, right? Yeah. A sense of understanding uh, what the heck is going on, I think, is, is a crossover in both of those. And... Uh, I think that both themes are redemption. It's said aloud in The Mandalorian, but not in this one. I think this is actually a really good point. You know, we were kind of thinking about would there be any connection between these the episodes of The Mandalorian and The Bad Batch that are airing. And I think, you know, this is the a big turning point in Crosshair's journey, right? And I think Din's journey for Redemption 2 is a big turning point for him, but as many, many characters have told Din in The Mandalorian, there's nothing magic about the waters underneath the mines of Mandalore. And I think Din kind of is, well, I, I don't know. I've only seen through episode two at this point, but <laughs> in that episode, episode two, I think we all are kind of agreeing with other people about Din, you know, like there's nothing magic about the waters. Like is the creed something you need to be following? Is that what you need redemption for? Do you even need redemption? Right. Whereas, and, and, and the redemption that Din is seeking is external from the waters, the living waters. Right. Whereas Crosshair in this episode is quote unquote further along in his journey um, at least from a season episode standpoint, right? And Crosshair's actions here are internal and it's him making the choice to go down a new path that we see him at the end of killing that lieutenant, which I'm um, like, I curse. I was like, holy shit. When I yeah, saw that, sure. it was, it was sure. incredible. But that was, that was Crosshair's choice. That was his action. That was him firmly putting himself on a new path away from good soldiers, follow orders. And right now, where we are with Din and the Mandalorian, again, having only seen episode through episode two, Din is a good Mandalorian following orders right now, of following the creed, I should say. 
And I think that that is a really good um, comparison point between these two characters uh, with these two episodes overlapping. Yeah, I agree. I want to talk a little bit about the vultures and the birds that circle everything in both this episode and then actually again in Tipping Point. It starts, Tipping Point starts with birds circling too. I know we had a lot of thoughts when we were rewatching these last night about the birds, right, Caitlin? Mm -hmm. We were. First off, I think there couldn't be anything stronger than the symbolism of vultures picking over the dead and circling the dead and sort of creating an ominous vibe to the whole situation of are they foreshadowing some sort of death? Are they uh, – what is dying here in which they are circling, right? I think that's really the question. I was even like, okay, so how do we define these birds? I think that they're clearly vultures. I think you said in the subtitles they're called ice vultures, mm -hmm. right? I was even thinking that they're also – could potentially be a circling albatross, which symbolizes a burden or some sort of burden of knowledge. And I think all of those are relative and can be entered into this conversation, right? Yeah. So what do you think of the birds, Kayla? I think that, one, I think we have to talk about what is said about them at the beginning of the episode by Commander sure. Mayday. So we have the three clones that are on this planet, and I did forget to write down the planet name, so I apologize. But they are uh, Hex, Vetch, and Commander Mayday, which I got to say are some of the coolest clone names we've had. I don't know. I love kind of all of these names. Also, I think I might be in love with Commander Mayday. I think he's just like the, one of the most attractive clones. <laughs> the I, I agree. The beard. I think recently D. Bradley Baker said his it's his favorite clone yeah, yeah. that he's ever voiced. And that's a that's a big yeah, that's, and, that's yeah, a big he's one. A lot. Mayday is such yeah. a is such a great clone and, and I was truly so sad to see him die at the end of this episode. It really really got to me. But he says at the beginning of the episode when he's kind of giving crosshair a lay of the land and these ice vultures start circling above them. He says, vicious creatures, but you have to admire them. They find a way to survive. And I think the first time I was watching it, I kind of was wondering if it was talking about like the empire, like they're vicious creatures and that kind of evil survives. You know, I wasn't really sure I was like, there's a metaphor here. <laughs> I just don't know where we're going with it. But the, you know, the next few times I watch this episode, I think that it is, I think that Crosshair is the the vulture. He is a harbinger of death as an assassin, right? But then they in turn are kind of um remarking on or or signifying his death in in this path of life i would say and i think we're used to kind of a more you love this the metaphor of baptism renewal with water and things like that but here we are on this frozen planet <laughs> so it's not the same kind of water that i think we're used to or even that din is experiencing in the mandalorian i think that crosshair is if he were to be represented by an animal, I think there would be a good argument for a vulture. And to see it, it's symbolic of his time with the Empire dying. But he is still that he's still a harbinger of death himself in his skills and what he is known for. And I think his personality too is is kind of very vulture-like. So I think we're supposed to think of him now, almost similar to the Convor and like Ahsoka. Uh, exactly. Yeah. That's what I was going to say too. That we we've are been introduced already to birds as, you know, uh animas for characters in animation. Yeah, exactly. So I think that I think the ice vulture is meant to be crosshair. And but I think you bring up an interesting point or maybe you perhaps kind of alluded to this that they could still be signifying the death of someone else too mm. or perhaps even the death of crosshair at the end of this, I think it's the death of clones, the death, right? The yeah. death of the clone's purpose yeah. or their original purpose or there's also a running theme. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but another running theme throughout this episode that I think is so brilliantly executed is the concept of equipment. You see the lieutenant saying, I don't like used equipment in the very beginning. He's talking about the clones there. And then you find out that the crates in which they are supposed to be guarding and have lost so many clones for this purpose of guarding the crates. They don't even know what's inside the crates. Later, you find out the crates are holding new stormtrooper equipment, not for the clones, not for them. And so first off, we're referring to clones as equipment, as things to be used. And then they're guarding equipment that isn't even for them. So they are obsolete 
in this entire situation. No one cares about them. All they care about is their purpose for guarding this crate. And it turns out that that doesn't even matter also. So they're completely fully disregarded in this entire situation. Um, and I just feel like this concept of like used equipment and equipment as rendered obsolete and the clones being equipment for a war, equipment for um, means to an end are just is that's the entire theme throughout this. And the cl- uh, crosshair is finally realizing that they don't care at all about the clones. And I think that this this is also this episode provides an interesting bonding moment where Crosshair uh, is put in a group of clones that are not special clones, right? I think that there's something that I don't know if the show has handled perfectly about how Crosshair considers himself and is an elite clone. They refer to Clone Force 99 as an elite group of clones, right? And I think that he carries himself as like better than everyone else because of that. But here he is put with a group of clones who are just trying to survive and trying to do their job at the very end of what you could perceive as the clone's time. And he is meant to, in this in in this situation, Crosshair comes face to face with this reality that he's treated just the same as these for all, for lack of a better term, regular clones, right? That they just don't care about them. That even though he was a special clone, he is also rendered obsolete Mm -hmm. in this new world of the Empire. Yeah, I think that this episode kind of has some hints that I think are leading us into the finale and kind of what's been happening with the Empire and Dr. Hemlock. The very beginning of the episode before... Crosshair leaves on this mission, uh, we see clones being thanked and forced into retirement. And the Empire person who is leading them away, you know, they're like, well, what are we supposed to do now? And the person with the Empire is like, please direct all questions to the Imperial. Da, 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 da. Like, she's not even listening to them. And I think that, you know, later in the tipping point, we see Dr. Hemlock talking to Tarkin about clones who ask questions are, quote, routed out, is how Tarkin says it. And it really feels like they're kind of sending all of the clones to Mount Tantus, right? Uh, so I think we're kind of seeing some of that here at the beginning of this episode and that they are all being um, used until they have no more use. And I think that Mayday's statement after they see what's in the crates of we're good soldiers, we followed orders, and for what? I kind of feel like that was, that whole moment was the moment for Crosshair where he was like, yeah, for what? Like, what am I being a good soldier for? He's had all these examples of other imperial people through these you know these episodes with him of telling him to do things that don't feel right and he's never questioned it and you know we saw that moment with um with cody on that planet where they had to kill the governor assassinate the governor and cody was the one going i don't think we should do this and crosshair doesn't hesitate and i think now he's finally hesitating and he makes that choice at the very end of the episode to kill the lieutenant, which ah, the the villains in this season have been so villainous and so easy evil, to hate, easy to hate, so easy to hate. And this guy, though, when they like got back to the camp and, you know, Crosshair is begging for help and mm-hmm. the lieutenant just isn't even listening he just tells crosshair to go back to work it's just it's so awful and to see characters like that that are so terrible and have just no regard for other living people it's just it's awful that they can really truly have that viewpoint of the clones as used equipment it's it's truly terrible and i think that these characters with the empire this season have really kind of They've been bad. They've been evil. And like you said, easy to hate. But I was mm-hmm. just that whole sequence of events at the very end. And the music was just, yeah. The music was so good. I made a comment. This has probably been 
disputed online already by the time this episode airs, but I felt like the themes that were played here were a slower version of the original Bad Batch theme or a variation of it, which would make sense given Crosshair is part of the Bad Batch. So, and this is a very melodramatic moment, but the music was so good. Also, the animation was brilliant. The, The shots of the snow, the avalanche, everything was so spot on, so chilling especially like yeah <laughs> chilling literally and in, figuratively lit- yes exactly yeah it was just it was such a beautiful yeah melodramatic episode and a, quite a somber episode as well which that's usually how I kind of think of Crosshair <laughs> as a somber character but it really was here and I'm so excited to see how people respond to this episode because it like like we've been saying it's got to be some of the Bad Batch team's best work to date. It's just truly incredible. And I think that, you know, we have this kind of comparison between Mayday and Crosshair and, you know, Crosshair saying that he, when when him and Mayday are investigating where the crates go and Crosshair is saying that they he wouldn't carry dead weight back. Mayday says, remind me not to die on your watch. And then, of course, Crosshair steps on the landmine. Mayday saves him and then, you know, Mayday is the one who's injured and Crosshair takes him back. The thing about Crosshair Mm. is he's kind of a a lot of bark, no bite. A lot of the times I find too, because Crosshair, Crosshair is loyal. You know, you can say a lot of things about him, but he is loyal. And if he values you, I don't want to say that, not if he values you, but we've seen so many times that Crosshair has indeed, uh, stuck his neck out for someone else and he was always loyal to the bad batch when they were together i think this was part of all of the hurt between them that they kind of explore at the end of season one when they're all back on camino and i think it's wrecker who says this like lovely sad line of you didn't even try to come back to wrecker or to uh, crosshair and crosshair is like so hurt by their his perception of their disloyalty right but at the end of the episode on camino He's the one that's helping to save them. He's the one that saves Omega in the end. He helps to save Omega at the very beginning of the series. Like there's there's so much that's going on. And he saves Mayday here. And you know, we see in Tipping Point that he is once again putting himself out there to warn the rest of the Bad Batch about yeah. um about Dr. Hemlock. And I meant to say this at the beginning, but I think it's actually so good through this season that the Bad Batch and Crosshair have not had contact because it really does make this all Crosshair's choice. You know, last season it was Mm -hmm. just him digging his heels in more and more, no matter how much the Bad Batch were like, can't you see what's going on? Can't you see the writing on the wall here? This is good orders. Good soldiers follow orders is not, is not applicable to us anymore (laughs) and crosshair just refused to hear it so for him to go through this whole season isolated and island unto himself and to come to that realization fully himself it just it goes back to what we talk a lot about with star Wars: a personal choice and Mm -hmm. (sighs) yeah it really highlights that it highlights this journey for you know I think people get a little prickly when we say the word redemption but I think we've already entered it into the conversation but yeah Mm -hmm. it's a personal redemption it's a personal story for him and I completely agree that there's an isolation that is required for this to happen for Crosshair the question is now just jumping to tipping point will the Bad Batch hear him out and believe him I'm very worried well, we saw. I think Omega will probably force them to. Omega, Omega, of course, believes. I wish we had gone back and gotten the quotes, but remember, there's that one of those very early scenes from like the first or second episode where she's sitting with Crosshair and she's like, I know what you're going to do, and I don't want you to do it. Mm-hmm. And she's, she also says something along the lines of like, I believe in you, or we're a family, something like that. Like, she's, Right. She's always the one that is talking about them as the family unit. And I think she still considers Crosshair their brother. And I think her face when they heard that it was Crosshair warning them, when Tech kind of relays the message, you see it on her face. It's so hopeful. And so is Wreckers. Uh, uh, Hunter is the one who is quite hesitant, I think, about it. Like, oh, maybe it's a trap. But I think Wrecker and Omega and Omega are going to be the ones to be like, well, what if it isn't? Like, if it isn't, we got to go, you know, it's worth it because he's our family to see what's really going on. 
Yeah. Yeah. I I'm I'm nervous. I do feel like again, not to jump all the way ahead. I just feel like the Bad Batch is gonna go to Mount Tantis or they're going to be forced to go there. They're going to be there. And what's going to happen is Crosshair is going to rejoin the Bad Batch, but Omega is going to be taken. I just feel really strongly that we've talked about this for a really long time and a lot in season one, if you remember, about the fact that Omega, there's this feeling that I feel like Crosshair has felt about Omega replacing him within this group, that there's a, a trade that often happens with these two characters. And I think we're going to see that trade again. And I think it's going to be a sacrifice, but I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I am very nervous and we have no knowledge. Zero. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, literally no knowledge, no knowledge. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm very nervous. Let's, um, let's go back to the next episode. Pabu. I know we were kind of talking about it earlier in the episode quite a bit, but want to talk about fee and I want to talk about we got to talk about fee we got to talk about fee and tech we have <laughs> there, unfortunately there's no good ship name for this i there really isn't there really maybe isn't. there already is out there yeah, right now the future, but currently uh-huh. currently there's none but y'all they're I'm, in love they're so in love <laughs> they're so in love they're so in, <laughs> tech has no idea what to do though that he he would not even know what to call it i don't think I don't even think he realizes it himself, but the, you know, watching this three times now, I think I'm like, tech is just watching fee like wherever she goes. And I don't think I'd really picked up on that the first or second time I watched this episode, but I was like, he, yeah, he's boys got it. Boys got it bad. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I see a future where fee and tech are together. And I kind of, I really like this concept of someone from the bad batch. I mean, we've already seen it happen with echo and I'm so glad that we get to see echo again in the next episode. But I think that the concept of pieces of this family breaking off into living and doing different things. I don't know. I can kind of see tech and fee being a power couple and being together forever. I love it. Mayors of Pabu. Uh, I know. Not, not that I want to so take great. that role away from Shep because I really love Shep as the character. Yeah, me know? too. But yeah, you know, this is something we've kind of speculated about, especially after Echo leaving of, you know, is there a world where they are on different paths? And does this series kind of end when they've all found a path to be on for the time being of, you know, Echo uh, working this underground thing with Rex to save clones that are in danger by the Empire. Is it Tech and Fee creating this, helping to create and protect this safe haven for people on Pabu or creating another uh, planet like Pabu for refugees and things like that? And, you know, they go and find they're liberators of ancient wonders together to bring back to these these planets for refugees who have had to leave their homes. Um, you know, and then are we kind of left with, I don't know, because I don't know what Crosshair's path is now or Wrecker even for that matter. But, you know, are we kind of left with Hunter and Omega figuring out where they want to settle down together as a family. I don't know. Or maybe it is all of them together, right? I don't, I don't know. But I think I could clearly see a path for Tech that it really felt like he was taking initiative in this episode to make choices himself, you know? I think Tech is someone who, uh, you know, it obviously has a lot of agency in this show as someone who is, you know, probably the smartest out of all of them. But Hunter is the leader, right? Like Hunter is ultimately the leader of the Bad Batch. But I think this episode and, and a lot of what we've seen tech in this season so far has been him making choices. And in this episode, seeing him kind of always with Fee and following her lead, but also like at the end of the episode when Hunter is like, Maybe we should stay and help rebuild. And Tech is like, I totally thought the same thing. You know, like that was something that was really important to him. And he's standing with Fee while he says it. And and then, of course, like in the next time we see them in the tipping point, it's him and Fee walking around together and him and Fee watching Wrecker and the kids sleep yes. by the tree and they watch the sunset together. <laughs> him and Fee doing this thing. Him and Fee <laughs> doing, doing this thing. Him and Fee happily ever after. 
um, when he when they're watching the sunset and she's like, "Isn't it beautiful?" and he says, "That's certainly one way to quantify it." Like, oh my god, <laughs> so like, seeing heart eyes all over the screen. It was so great. Oh, and we can't forget when Shep showed up and uh, Wrecker like elbows Tech and is like, "You've got some competition." And I was like, okay, okay, so everyone here is fully on board this ship, <laughs> Wrecker included. And I don't know, I I love the idea of Wrecker finding love in the galaxy because, correct me if I'm wrong, but the only other clone I can think of that has a family or a significant other is uh, Cut from Cut and Run yep. and also from The Bad Batch, um, season one. So I don't know. I think it would be so well, not from the Bad Batch. Well, like from, he was Batch. from yeah. season one of the Bad Batch. He was featured in season one of the Bad Batch. Yes. Excuse me, mm-hmm. but is is cut and he has a wife and kids. And yeah, I just I think it would be great to see Tech find someone in the galaxy for him. And it it feels like it could be Fee. I want it to be Fee. And I love this little tease of of I don't know some kind of happily after happily ever after for them. I love it. Um, I think that this whole discussion of the Bad Batch or particularly Hunter and Omega living perhaps on Pabu uh, reminded me of The Mandalorian. I think in that first episode Mm -hmm. of season three, we see Grief propose to Din and Grogu that they buy a plot of land on Navarro and perhaps live there and have this idyllic life. And Din's like, that's not my... I don't know. That sounds good, but like I, I have other things to do. I have to apologize for my transgressions or whatever the heck, right? I think that we if there's even a zoom in of the potential plot of land. This is something that we're seeing frequently in this father-son, this father-daughter, this, you know, this parent-child relationship that we keep getting. Um, we even see it also when in season one of The Mandalorian on uh, in the episode Sanctuary with Omera, um, where Din is very much coming to a realization that he, you know, has a child and has a child with him. So I think that the same thing is basically happening here with Hunter and Omega. But in both those, in Mandalorian, he chooses to not. I still believe that we are going to get that happy ending or some form of that in the end somehow. And maybe the same will be here. The same could be said for here as well. But it did remind me of that. And I think maybe that future is perhaps like if they wanted to put down roots somewhere, maybe Pabu is the place. But I still, I said it in the beginning of the episode, I still feel like there's a creeping sense of dread about this place or this, you know, lull time in between uh, the last episode and then the finale. I just, I feel like, yes, Pabu is beautiful. We have this, we do have this insane tsunami that happens. Everyone's okay though, I guess. Yeah, because Shep was a freaking great mayor. Yeah, you know, Shep is really the MVP. (laughs) Everything about this place is great and i think that's what makes me be like hmm star wars doesn't love this and then of course the tsunami happens and i'm like okay well there you go but they're prepared but they're prepared they're so prepared (laughs) they're so prepared and they're gonna rebuild they will rebuild and i yeah so i don't know i don't know what to think i just have to put a pin in that and also um, the anti-Sid vibes, I guess that comes in more in the next episode, but I just can't even, um, oh, I guess it comes in in this episode, huh? Um, yeah, this one. It's this one. Yeah. When the reason why Fee is so nice is that she realizes that, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why Fee is probably so nice and brings them there, but the, one of the reasons is because she realizes that they're trying to get out of Sid's clutches and even the transmission that Sid sends to them, they are pulling no punches by making Sid villainous, I guess, in that the sound was cutting in and out and making her voice sound very deep and evil mm-hmm. when she was speaking. And it was, yeah, anti-Sid behavior is happening again <laughs> on the podcast. And I just think they got to get out. And I just am looking for a way for them to escape. But I don't know if that's even going to be dealt with in the rest of the season. I just want to say, I feel like this is something that we're going to put a pin in and continue on with 
season three with the Bad Batch's link, you know, questionable link to Sid. Um, I just don't see it being resolved fully in the next two episodes after in the finale, nor do I really think it should. It could come up, but I I think that that is going to be something that we continue to check in on about the fact that she potentially has some blackmail on them and could, you know, send people to find them. You, you're putting a lot of pins in things. Well, I think that, okay, so the, the concept of putting pins in things, I think is so <laughs> crucial to a season or like a television series that perhaps is different than uh, a one-off movie. A one-off movie. Like I think we're even seeing this in The Mandalorian with the concept of the pirates being introduced, right? Mm-hmm. I think we see this constantly in The Mandalorian actually of different threats coming and going, even with um, Giancarlo es- Esposito's character and... I don't know. I just am comparing these two because now they're airing at the same time about how there's different conflicts that arise in a in a television show versus a movie. And Sid, I think, is one of their conflicts that they're going to have to deal with and have been dealing with, I guess, in season two of The Bad Batch, but I think will be more so a thing again in season three, especially if my prediction is right and Omega is no. taken <laughs> and they have to also kind of gather their allies and make decisions about who those allies actually are. Yeah. While you were talking, it kind of reminded me or made me think about what if the, does Crosshair know about Sid? Like what if that was something that Crosshair, you know, inadvertently gave up while he was being tortured about their contact with Sid and that kind of begins to connect them. I don't know. I think that could be a possibility, but I, I don't remember if Crosshair has any knowledge of Sid, but yeah, I, I like the concept of putting a pin in thing in things, especially for a series like this that is more than one season. You have the opportunity to revisit. And it certainly feels like the this episode and, and Tipping Point are really rolling us into the finale that is going to take place on Mount Tantus with Dr. Hemlock. So I wonder how Sid will fit into that if she's going to. So it does make me think that that's something that we can perhaps revisit next season. And I don't know, maybe a Sid redemption arc. If she hears that Omega's been captured and she's like, you know what? She loves, and she loves Omega. She does love Omega. She really does. You know, so anyway, anyway, I'm just going to put a pin in that myself on my own Bad Batch bulletin board. So (laughs) that's what I always think of when we talk about this on like a literal bulletin board with like a thumbtack (laughs) picture of Sid. Sometimes I think that would be really great. Right? For us to do. Yeah. <laughs> All the things that we're tracking. In. <laughs> yeah. And are tracking. A lot of things. Yeah, it is a, lot, a lot of things. things. Yeah, I think that, you know, to talk about Pabu as a setting and kind of whether or not the Bad Batch belong there or Omega and Hunter belong there, because I think, I think Tech and Fee, I think Tech could belong there. You know what I mean? But I think with rather, Agreed. rather than it being a, um, as I think you've kind of been thinking about it, like a a shadow perfect land, like a fake perfect land with like this tone of eeriness to it. I think it's just building us up more to the Star Wars tragedy of it all of that. They had this shot at a perfect idyllic kind of world and it's taken from them. And I think maybe like it's supposed to be that juxtaposition of this was this great place, but until we get these other things sorted out with the empire and with Omega and whatever it is that makes her so special for, uh, Lamasu crap. Is it Lamasu? <laughs> Or Nalase, and it was like it's not Lamasu <laughs> um, for Nalase and Dr. Hemlock and and all of that. It's only once they can get past all of that and everything going on with Sid too that they can even begin to think about settling down, whatever that looks like. They have to go through these other hurdles first. So I think it is still kind of this uh, peak for them, this goal to reach, perhaps in some ways. I don't know, but I think it was worth it to have it here at this juncture in the season to give them a moment to relax because, like you said, we're, we're taking it all away from them <laughs> so quickly. The rug is being pulled out from underneath their feet and the tsunami is kind of just a precursor. But I think it was – I was just loved seeing this planet where the people all really cared for each other and they – had this infrastructure in place to be safe. 
<laughs> it was so, it was so like, wow, I want to live there. I want to live under Shep's leadership. <laughs> so true. You know, and I'm sure that tech is like putting together a plan to make sure that their roll down ladders never rust through again and like a whole emergency preparedness plan. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure that he's doing that and we'll probably be able to create a sensor that is more accurate than what they have there That's, now. That is so true. I was thinking about the ways that tech can help and technology is the way that he can help yeah. right and he'll be and able to pinpoint like a week yes. in advance when it's coming so you get everybody mm-hmm. off planet or to a different part of the planet i don't know um i also I love that i also loved that one two of my favorite funny moments in this episode were one tech our record being full was hilarious to me yeah uh, because he's really been, he's really been talking about food a lot this season actually <laughs> I mean, they've been they've been on the run they've, they've been, been on hungry. rations for like four episodes yeah. so i got it right uh and then uh tech had some great moments the beginning was it this episode where yeah it was this episode where he's playing chess with himself and gonky is like are you playing with yourself and he's like yeah the only time it's challenging <laughs> and then and then of course tech uh teaching omega how to fly it was just such a charming scene and i loved it so much wow. i think that was in tipping point it is it is in tipping and point. it's so good it's, it's so, so good it's so cute oh my gosh and then before they go to pabu and fee kind of suggests that omega isn't learning all the skills she needs and tech is so offended he's like what skills is she missing <laughs> She's like, I am her teacher. And- <laughs> Do you not see how smart she is? And of course, he is like, no, I mean like friends, social skills, friendship skills. <laughs> I also really love the beginning of Pabu. That seemed like an homage to Temple of Doom in the beginning of Temple of Doom. But what's funny about it is in a lot of ways, obviously, Fee is an Indiana Jones type character. But uh, it's successful. And in the beginning of Temple of Doom... Um, Indy trying to get the the jewel, I think it's a jewel from Lao He is he walks right into that trap. It's so funny. It's a great moment. But this one is successful because she has her crew around her. And I yeah. really liked seeing that. I thought that was good. And I I like how Omega's like, that was a fun mission. And I like that she is thinking about things as fun and not fun. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a very childlike way to think about things and yeah that one was fun yeah. it was cool to see uh Rucker kind of step on up and everything like that <laughs> so great also one of the other really small moments that I loved from this episode was when Omega and I believe her name is Liana is the other little girl on the planet yeah Shep's daughter yeah, Liana. I think Shep's daughter when they go out on the boat and Omega tells Liana she's like yeah I grew up on the ocean on water but it was you know, it was never like this. And I don't know, I loved this connection of Omega connecting, sorry to say that twice um, in one sentence, <laughs> connecting back to water and ocean. And there is something that feels familiar and home-like here, but it is so different than Camino, right? But it's still, it's still something that perhaps she, uh, yeah, like feels that familiarity with even though it is so different and that the water, that the ocean can be so calm and peaceful, um, just like life could look like there. Yeah, I really liked that too. I think anytime Omega, I say this every single time Omega talks with a child that's her age, I think that she has a lot of realizations about what life is like for a normal kid too. Mm-hmm. And I think that this this moment, you're so right in that her connection with that nature or recognition about where she grew up versus where she is now, I think is really, really useful and really good. It's worth noting that Steve Bloom is, uh, plays some voices in this episode and he played Zeb in Rebels. So that was kind of yep. a fun aside. He always comes back and does some voices, some weird voices, like some aliens, some creatures. I think it's always great. Yeah. Um, let's talk more about tipping point because I think we said in the beginning of the episode that this one is a little bit more all over the place. And when I look back on it in these three episodes, I really do feel like this episode is the setup for the finale and probably could be viewed as an arc or like a trio of episodes. Once we get to the finale, I could be wrong about that, obviously, but it does feel like we're setting up something because the way that this end ended, I was like, oh my God, it just ended. Like, mm-hmm. give me the next two. <laughs> and I think that a lot of things happen. But one thing that I think is crucial to note is how we checked in with Echo again. And Echo and Rex are clearly working with Rio Chuchi um, as informants. And I think that was really interesting because obviously that's like the 
the catalyst for that was the catalyst for Echo to leave the Bad Batch momentarily, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's great to see that their time is being used, I guess. And I liked that Echo was immediately like, I know who to bring this to. I know what to do. And so now it feels like we're setting up the story for Echo. Echo went alone, right, to meet the Bad Batch again. And now the entire crew is back together when they find out this information about Omega, about how they are. Well, they don't know it's about Omega. They don't know it's about Omega, but we know it's about Omega. Mm-hmm. And that they find out this information that they need to do plan, what's it? Plan 88, the seeker, which is a warning for them. So I do feel like it's crucial to note that the Bad Batch is back together again when they potentially could, in the finale, meet up with Crosshair again. I think that this is an important story moment where we get back Echo and like the whole crew is back together again, I guess. Yeah, the big shot gangster putting together a crew ready yes. to go storm the castle. That's what's At happening. At this point, the big, sh- the big shot gangster is Jennifer Corbett. So yeah. <laughs> she put together the crew and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, we're really leading into the finale here. Yeah, all signs point to cloning and Mount Tantus. And so everything, again, I think that's been something really great about being able to do these kind of batches of episodes and kind of look at a couple of episodes at once is I don't think I would have been tracking <laughs> some of these things as well. I don't know, maybe. Uh, but, you know, in the Zillow Beast episode, they is, is a clone, right? We find out that the Zillow Beast has been cloned and it's still on the run. The Zillow Beast escaped, right? Or was captured by the Empire again at the end of that episode. But uh, Hunter, Tex, and Re- Tech, and Wrecker send that information to Echo and Rex at the end about the Zillow Beast and the cloning and it growing by electricity and all of that. Now Rex and Echo have intel that clones are being basically deported to Mount Tantus, it feels like. They're all going there. So people who have been cloned. And now we have, we know that Lama Su and Nala Se are there. Dr. Hemlock has something he needs them to do that only Nala Se has the knowledge to do. And so he's going to bribe her with Omega, but he's probably also going to find out something about Omega that makes her the special, you know what I mean? And so all this cloning is happening on Mount Tantus. (sighs) Some like we're going there all roads point there and what is going like there's got to be something else that is being unveiled or worked on there right like what is dr hemlock's ultimate goal i think the other big balls in the air we have around camino and mount tantus to bring it back to the mandalorian we've got dr pershing who was a kaminoan scientist who appears like he's going to have a bigger role in this season of The Mandalorian. Again, only thing. Well, I just want to interrupt you. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. We don't know that he's a Kaminoan scientist. We just know that he has a Kaminoan symbol on his uniform, which means he could be operating out of Mount Tantus if it's still in operation at this point um, because a lot of the Kaminoan tech was moved to Mount Tantus. So. And I think that that it doesn't it doesn't mean that they're Kaminoan. It just means yeah. that they're using Kaminoan tech yeah, and exactly. are being things are the the thing about Mount Tantus that is now heating up is the concept that Lama Sue is there, that Nala Se is there, that they have a gun to Nala Se's head to like let them do whatever they want to with these science experiments, right? I think that also in this episode we learned that Hemlock does. I think they use the term unorthodox experiments and he was expelled from the Republic before. And now he's a part of the advanced science division, which I think is a really interesting tidbit that he was too crazy for the Republic, but now the empire is using him and promoting him and making him basically the head of whatever the heck is going on at Mount Tantus. Sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to clarify that for the Mandalorian because this episode comes out the 22nd and I don't know what else is revealed in the Mandalorian. Yeah, no, I'm glad you did. Yeah, Pershing is not Kaminoan himself, but uh, he is using Kaminoan tech, presumably. Um, and yeah, has feels like they come from the world of Kaminoan and cloning technology and scientific endeavors, I guess we could say. But 
yeah, the, you know, the other, like I said, the other balls in the air we have are Dr. Pershing, what's going on with the Mandalorian, how that relates to Grogu. We know that they were testing on Grogu, that Pershing was. And then we also have the Palpatine clone of it all that is also out there <laughs> coming down the pipeline in the sequel trilogy. So there's definitely an undercurrent of all of that happening. The Snokes. The Snokes. The Snokes in a jar. Yeah. Um, Pickled Snokes. Oh, God. How pickled are we going to get? Oh, no. How pickled? How oh, much pickle how, are we going to see? How many pickles? <laughs> how much vinegar does it take to pickle a Snoke? <laughs> um, it's too much. It's, anyway, <laughs> I'm willing to check all my reservations of the cloning stuff at the door, despite my feelings about like Snoke being a clone, because I do feel like they have a larger story to tell here that is being done across different mediums, which I think is really cool. And I, it's interesting, the concept of, not to go on a rant here, but I think when we watched The Rise of Skywalker and there's a lot of mention of cloning, it felt abstract in the conversation of the sequel trilogy, mm -hmm. but in the, in the larger themes of Star Wars and concepts in Star Wars, it really isn't abstract. And I think that shows like The Bad Batch and Mandalorian are proving that. I mean, we have a literal episode of Star Wars called Attack of the Clones, so uh, I think underscoring that and making that feel like less abstract, like I said, is a good thing that Star Wars is doing in storytelling right now. And I don't think it feels inorganic. I think it really does feel organic. So I'm interested to see how it all goes. Yeah, I think you think about like all these the the saga stories, right? Episodes one through nine. And if the war starts with clones more or less, and then we end with clones as well with Snoke and Ray's parents um, and then we have all of the clone army and you're starting to tell more stories y you know you really start to think about okay well like what happened to all of those clones where did they go and what were the politics of all of that so this story is all making sense um, and yeah like you said kind of really putting more I guess like facts and figures to what is actually happening uh, behind the scenes with this cloning technology, especially now that stormtroopers are conscripted uh, from non-clones across the galaxy. Uh, yeah, just it, it's it's answering a lot of questions um, and spelling some things out. And I'm interested to see how the season ends, if there is a big reveal about cloning in general, if it will relate to the Mandalorian, if the big thing at the end is you know, Omega's capture or Crosshair's death or something else like that. I don't know. But it's definitely, I think it's going to be really dramatic. I think it could be more of a cliffhanger than what we saw at the end of season one. And I think it's going to be a lot more emotional too. I totally agree. I really liked this episode. I feel like I didn't express that enough that I thought the tipping point was a really exciting episode and there's a lot that it's setting up. And I think that checking in in these small moments of these different characters on different journeys, I think is really cool. And I'm excited to see what plan 88 the seeker is. <laughs> so. Well, we know it's, they're being hunted. I'm excited to yeah. see how they one decide that they're going to go after crosshair because I think they are because they know that he's been captured and then they know that he sent out a warning signal. So I think they're they're going to go after him, right? And they're going to inadvertently bring Omega exactly where they want her. They're going to walk into a trap that they didn't – that Crosshair didn't intend to be a trap, right? Um, because he wasn't able to get that piece out, that it's about Omega. I think if they heard that, yeah. Hunter would be like, yeah, we are stand the F on Papu. And if you guys want to go after Crosshair, that's great. Totally for it. But I <laughs> – I'm keeping Omega here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think something that's interesting is the next episode is called The Summit. And then the episode after that, the finale is called Plan 99. So Plan 88 is one thing. What is Plan 99? Yeah. We're going to find out. Extraction. I'm excited. It's definitely extraction. I'm, why did I say that? Like, I know. I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I feel like um, that's probably what's going to happen. But I like this. I mean, they're Clone Force 99, so Plan 99. Are they all going to get back together? That would be amazing. Let's get the gang back together. But I do, I fear that 
one of you you're the one that said this one of the seasons has to end with omega getting taken right someone leaving oh, well, someone Some, in our some... discord actually talked about this and i yeah, responded it's like, true though that's feel inevitable that one of these seasons has got to end with her capture we saw that in the we need a, a big cliffhanger like that somehow um i we don't need it but it just feels like this is the time for it in season yeah. two versus season one yeah and if they get renewed i guess for season three i think that that I think they will, but I think that that brings up some questions about how they're going to end this one and then resolve it potentially in next season or not. I'd actually like to see what happens if not to be dark, but I think it would be interesting to see Omega exist outside of the Bad Batch and test what she has learned yeah. throughout this entire season, considering that's a huge running theme about her training and everything. I don't want to be with Dr. Hemlock, though. Me neither. Me neither. <laughs> but, like, it would might be interesting to see her back with Nalase and what she learns and how and everything like that. I don't know. Um, I just think that that feels like something that we're leading to, given the fact that we've seen her throughout the entire season learning, learning, learning different aspects. So... When will she get put, get to put that to, to the test? Not that she isn't right now in the group, but as an independent, I mean, this, no this story is a coming back on. Yes, this story is a coming of age story with Omega as the main character, so she does have to be pushed to her limits, basically. So um, I'm intrigued to see that happen, and I again, I'm, I'm banking everything on Omega being taken. <laughs> I'm willing to be wrong. <laughs> Probably I'm wrong, yeah, but I know. I just feel like there's a switcheroo happening. I feel yeah. strongly about the Crosshair Omega dynamic and relationship as one one feels like the other is replaced. It. Even though Omega loves Crosshair and always believes in him, we actually asked Michelle Ong about this, and she was so coy about the answer and was like, "Disney's gonna get after me." I asked if she, no, you asked if she still has hope for Crosshair, and she was like, "Yes, of course, absolutely." For sure. You're just going to have to see. You'll see. You're going to see. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see if that happens. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I'm reminded, or rather I'm just thinking again, in one of the early seasons of The Clone Wars, the Clone 99 is the old clone that dies, right? Yes. I'm just Clone 99. That's what they're named after. I know. So their like, squad is named after that. But are you saying that that's a foreshadowing? Oh, no. The vultures <laughs> circling death. <laughs> Who's, is someone going to die, Caitlin? I don't think someone's going to die. I really hope but not. I really hope not. What if? Yeah. And I hope it. Yeah. I, okay. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, you know, it's that point in the season where, or rather coming to the end of any kind of season with Star Wars television that it's so exciting to see where things are going to end up by the end of the season. But then that means it's over. The season is over. And whatever cliffhanger we are inevitably left on, it'll be quite some time before we see the follow-up to it. And that just makes me sad because mm -hmm. I think this season has been so fun. I think it's had a lot of really, really high standout moments. And I, I'm ready to see this finale. Um, so ready to see it, but also very nervous about where it could end up. And yeah, uh, man. Ready. It's been a ride. Can't wait for the finale. Yeah. All right. Well, is there anything else we want to say about these three episodes? No, we're into the unknown now. Excited. Yeah. Yeah. Excited, nervous, stressed, all of yes, the above. Stress. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys so much for listening, for following along with all of our Bad Batch coverage. I hope you have enjoyed it. We've certainly enjoyed talking about it and looking forward to uh, next week with the finale episode. So if you want to talk to us about your theories on the season finale of The Bad Batch, you can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Crarity and mine is at Caitlin Plusher. We also have our website, skytalkers.com, our uh, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, email, all good places to find us. And if you haven't left us a review yet on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please, uh, we would really appreciate it if you took a couple of seconds to go and do that. And I would be remiss to say that when this airs, uh, we will be dangerously close to leaving for celebration, which is kind of crazy to think about. So we 
will be on the Holonet news stage at some point during celebration. We don't have the date or time yet at the time of recording this. But if, if we do, it'll be in the show notes. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, or you can check any of those social media channels or any of our recent episodes too, where we're probably talking about it. But yeah. So if you're going to be at Star Wars Celebration in London, please come and say hi to us. We would love to meet you and give you a sticker and a Sky Talkers lanyard because we still have lanyards to give out this year. So please come and find us. But yeah. Uh, And the last part of my intro or outro spiel is if you're looking for more ways to support us, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Jonah, Charlotte, Becky, Z, Allie, Simon, Rachel, Patty, Stephanie, Adam, Allison, Anna, Brad, BB, Nate, Madison, Trevor, Aubrey, Kelly, Imbacelius, James, Danny, and Christina. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.